focus. My name's Quid, and I'm here with my co-host Nick. We've watched The King, as we promised last episode, and we're here to talk about it, to dissect it. We yeah. both really liked it. Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. It's a fantastic film. It's a yeah, Netflix original from 2019, uh, directed by David Michaud, who, if you don't know, is a great Australian director. He did Animal Kingdom, The Rover. He also did another Netflix original called War Machine, which I really enjoyed as well. This is actually my first of his movies. Well, he's definitely uh, worth watching. I would yeah. say that. He's got great talent in here as well. Uh, Timothy, I, I do not want to attempt that last name. It's like Chalament, you know? <laughs> Some sort of like French name, I think. Uh, yeah. Or maybe French Canadian. But he's great, and he's been in a lot of stuff that I can't believe I haven't noticed. I think it's Chalamet. That's cool. It's like Charlemagne almost. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I might be wrong. <laughs> Which would make sense if, if he's French. Um, but he's also somehow in Interstellar, which I have no clue. Uh, and he's also in Hostiles, which also I have no clue he was in that. And also, of course, he's been in big movies recently like Lady Bird and Call Me By Your Name. And he's going to be in Dune in the French oh. Dispatch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to be, uh, what's his face? The main, the main guy. Character. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, Sean I, Harris. I, yeah. Go ahead. I, no, I was just going to comment that I'm literally reading that book now and um what is it something atreides i just know his okay. last name but yeah i have <laughs> that book is on my bookshelf uh it's part of the ever-increasing stack of books that i will read eventually paul atreides I, yeah yep, oh, okay yeah there we go <laughs> sorry i had to look it up no problem um, so then we also have sean harris uh, Sean Harris is that great villain from Mission in Impossible, Impossible Fallout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's also plays one of the crew in Prometheus, which lines up with uh, how much we love that film. And he's just great all around. And he's going to be in The Green Knight, which looks like a really cool movie coming out. Uh, another interesting fact is he was in Macbeth. And really? Macbeth. Okay. Yeah, the one with Michael Fassbender. Right. And this is interesting for a couple reasons, which is. That's a great movie. I like the movie. It's a polarizing movie. I know a lot of people don't like it because it keeps the old English and so on. But visually, it's stunning. And that same director of photography did this movie. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Yeah. And I do want to talk about that at some point. But um, yes, we will. Let's um, let's uh, put the little warning here. Um, As we're moving forward here, uh, there's going to be spoilers. We're not going to restrain ourselves from that. Um, If you don't want to. Any spoilers, uh, go see the movie now and come back to the podcast here. If you don't care, uh, keep listening. Yeah. And, you know, me and Nick are fairly polarized on this issue. He is very anti-spoiler, and I'm very pro-spoiler. But <laughs> in this in this case, I would say this is a great film. And if you're the kind of person who can make yourself watch a film on a schedule, then go watch this film now. But if you're not going to watch it for weeks or months, then just listen, you know. Yeah. Um, um. So what else do we got here? Uh, yeah, the the cinematographer's name is Adam Arkapa, if I'm saying that right, and okay. he's worked with Derek Seinfrance as well on The Light Between Oceans, which was a great yeah. film. David Machad and the director of that Macbeth movie and the Assassin's Creed movie, I forget his name, uh, Justin Krizol. So there's a lot of great talent on this, and obviously the producers are grade A talent. It's Brad Pitt's company, so oh, okay. you know, and it's. Uh, Joel Egerton's and David Machad's company. So there's like a there's really like okay grade A production talent behind this, like the top. And uh, 
So really just a, a great uh, recipe list of talent yeah. <laughs> all around. Uh, also, I want to point out, we were, uh, me and Nick were uh, gushing over the score earlier, and we'll have a song for that later in the break, but this is the same composer who does that great opening theme of uh, Succession, I believe, uh, for the HBO show. That's so catchy. Uh, so all around... Just great. In terms of 2019, where where would you put this movie? Do you have an idea? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd say Parasite, like right on neck and neck with Parasite. I'd have to watch Parasite again. But and is Parasite like your top pick? I think so. Um, it was Alita for a while, and I think that movie's just super underrated. Um, yeah, that's a I great. Think, genre. I, I think it might be it being underrated might be part of the reason that I liked it so much. Um, yeah. Just because I felt to, like there was, there was some injustice there, yeah. you know? <laughs> so you, um, oh. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I mean, I feel like Alita might still be, I, you know what? I don't know for best made film. I think this is tied with parasite. And for my favorite film of 2019, I think this is tied with Alita. Okay. So I feel like this takes the cake. Yeah. Because, it's, yeah. It's yeah. part of two ties. <laughs> yeah. uh, for me, I'm looking at my list that I made for 2019. And uh, I already want to rearrange my top five, but not my first spot. And my number one spot does go to this film, The King. Um, yeah. But I would put, I would probably put Uncut Gems second, Parasite third. Okay. And uh, the rest don't really matter for this podcast, but. I would just say, like, when it comes to, like, your top 10 or 15 or even 20 films of the year, if it's been, like, a really good year and you watched a lot of it, you know, uh, it's all a matter of taste at some point. Yeah. So, I would just think The King just aligns, you know. The King is so much more no country for old men than Parasite is, you know. That's true. So, it's um, like... But right actually, one thing there. that we were talking about before this podcast that I want to bring up um, yeah. is um, the the efficiency in which um, they got the message through in this film. Mm, yes. Um, that was the most brilliant thing to me where every single moment felt completely necessary. Um, and that's actually kind of rare in a film. I feel like even in the best films you have, a, there's a tendency to wander and to have fat. And I don't think that's necessarily bad either. Um, but regardless of whether it's good or bad, it's a feat to be able to create a movie that's so lean. Yeah. Um, it's interesting as well, because there is a, a, like a definitive message as well. And right. part of the issue with a lot of, you know, supposed fat in movies uh, around getting the insight across the theme, the message, whatever you want to call it, is that some of them don't really have it or like they have something open ended as well. And so it's nice right, to see it's a something question rather than an answer. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to see something that's more like a return to form in terms of how I, how I think about how story used to always be, you know, and right. how it's been popularized recently in the last decade or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is definitely a part more of that that simple path of just uh, having a point and making the film to reach the point. And I think part of the part of what probably helped them for that is they had a great source material. You know, this is a loose right. adaptation of a Shakespeare play 
and uh, they don't keep the old English or anything like that. They definitely take it the way they want it to go, but you're dealing with some of the best, like, dramatic source material, you know, a play right. written for about two, three-hour time, you know, and you're going to adapt that into a, a movie. It's it's pretty good, you know. Yeah. You know, too bad we don't have uh, – <laughs> too bad we don't just have, like uh, – few million dollars to reenact a medieval setting so we can just like <laughs> adapt shakespeare with a, like right how we'd want to you know what i mean um uh, but yeah so uh there's a uh let's you want to talk about the cinematography that's kind of what i wanted to yeah let's do. go with the cinematography and then we can come back to the messages uh yeah because i, I want to kind of like talk about everything else first before we try to figure that out because like i have my theories but i want to kind of run it by you to yeah, um, absolutely. You know, bounce that off you. But um, one of the things that I really loved about the cinematography in this is that every fame, frame kind of felt like uh, like an old school painting. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like it, it felt like very soft and oily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think another thing that like it, 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 I don't know how to describe this. It almost had like very even lighting. Right. Yeah, there's like a soft light. Yeah. Right. Definitely. There's always a soft light, and but not only that, I feel like the um, scenes are almost always lit to where the background is as light as the foreground. Yeah. Right. It's deep focus, but for lighting. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that I felt like that really brought out this kind of like painting as quality, where, um, yeah. you know. Like everything's part of it. Everything's part of the art. Yeah, you know? and there were some beautiful shots. I mean, yeah. all over the film. I mean, the opening shot of uh, the sort of who turns out to be a rebellious lord killing the rebellious Scotsman. You know, right? Uh, I think about the when he is sort of being christened, I guess, as a king. You know, he's has this like second baptism as a king. Right. Right. Uh, that was a beautiful sequence of, of shots with the music as well and the, the audio work. Yeah. Um, there was lots of... Uh, I, w- I really enjoyed the the action shots as well. Uh, yeah, speaking of action, by the way, um, yeah. the way that they depicted violence in this movie is so um, real. I, I, this is yeah. my favorite way to depict violence. I, I even do this in my films too where... Um, like. I think we have this fascinate. We we either have this um, fascination with violence in the U.S. where we glorify it, or yeah. we um, pretend it's not there. And like, usually films are on either side of the spectrum, you know. Yeah. And I like films that show the reality of violence. That um, you know, and usually they end up being more brutal than uh, the films that glorify violence. Yeah. But yeah, it's the weird, when you show uh, the irony. Right, right. But when you show the reality of violence, it, it's 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 brutal, but it also kind of turns you off from it as well. You know, if they mm-hmm. do it well enough, it's not something that makes you want it. It almost makes you fear it and understand it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, I mean, speaking about the violence in this film as well, I've been waiting for a long time. In fact, I almost felt a little, uh, damn it, I lost one of my things i was gonna do you know if i could be that arrogant which is sure uh i the medieval fighting uh most movies what you see is like people are just stabbing each other with swords right right and they have this full plate armor on and 
almost all medieval movies are like this, where it's just like you're just getting stabbed and you can just get hacked, even though you have like full plate armor on. And if right. you get hacked, it just breaks through your armor and it just cuts into you and you die. And this is like 99 out of 100 medieval movies, pretty much all of them, frankly, even more than 99 out of 100. And this is the first one that showed some of the realities of like medieval combat, where right because you if can't break through plate, the armor, you're not slashing yeah. them. You're not breaking through the armor. Like you're right. what you're doing is well, you're you going for the it. joints. You yeah, can well, yeah, it, but um, well, here's the thing. Like you're going for the joints primarily, the like where the the armor's weak or where it's not covered. So like there's a lot of like them going for the neck because you're not you don't have a full you know uh, plate of metal covering the neck. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of them going through the eye holes as well and there's a lot trying to go for the legs. Um and that's like the major illustration and that's like a lot more true to form of how it actually was because in like medieval combat what they do is they bludgeon they'd want to bludgeon you and like the swords weren't even sharp they were just meant uh to like literally break your joints and like bend the armor in onto your flesh uh and like once you were like your knees were broken and you were just you know lying on the ground they'd come up to you and knife you in the neck you know and that sounds brutal, but this is like the best representation of like accurate combat in the in this like what is it like the 15th century? That yeah, I've seen. and and I, I love how um, when he was fighting the rebellious lord one on one, and mm-hmm. you know that was a re- another thing that I really liked about um, how Henry as a character, yeah, is that he was always willing to put his life in front of his men's, yeah. Um, he was a great king. He was. Um, and he was never scared to step up and save their lives. Um, yeah. But his uh, this whole scene with his uh, brother, where his brother wanted the, like to fight on the field, and he has this idea of glory. And as we see later in some of the fights, like there, there is no... There's no real glory once you once you're in that field fighting, right? Yeah, um, it's you're disgusting. You're literally and covered in mud, and you surviving is like as much chance, right? Exactly. As skill. Um, and it was very, you know, it was almost uh, reminiscent of that scene, that famous scene in Game of Thrones, which I haven't watched. The you know, series, I actually thought I that the um, this was similar to that, and they did it better. Yeah. Um, yeah, the yeah. Scene, by the way, the scene where uh, Jon Snow is like in like a sea of bodies. So right, right. Um, um, but and there's not that much combat. I want to say that as well. There's like two fight scenes. There's like the final battle, and then there's like an initial fight scene. Right. And that's it. Um, for... It's mostly politics. <laughs> but yeah. um, but the the few fight scenes that are in this movie make it. Uh, they I, I feel it like over they're... the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Like that first fight is so um, heavy, and not a lot of damage is being done at the beginning, and they're tiring each other out. And what I loved about it was that um, it was so uh, drawn out, and when it ended, it ended fast, right? It was yeah. it was like when when the first person got when when that rebellious lord got stabbed, right? It was just. Yeah. It was just over one connection. so quickly. Yeah. Right. One connection with a weak spot. Right. It was done. Um, yeah. And that's a great scene as well. And just, uh, it's like a little taste of the final battle because 
it starts off with these lofty ideas of honor, you know, and then they're literally just end up rolling around in the dirt. Right. And the first person that gets a good cheap shot wins. Right. (laughs) Um, and, but, but the, the honor that was in that was him, like, was how lowering himself to that point and engaging in this. So these men didn't have to. Yeah, which is also um, reflected in the last scene. It's like right. the reason each battle was won was the willingness to sacrifice. The first time it was Henry. The second time it was um, his main mate, the the Falstaff. sort of like lesser knight, Falstaff, exactly, yeah. played by He, he was Edgerton. actually my favorite character in this entire movie. Oh, he's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's like the voice of reason in the movie, you know, like the, the true moral center. Right. And I think... I, I think... Uh, they they touch on this idea of honor in the movie and and I, I guess glory too, you know, and these people that haven't experienced combat, they, they see honor in a very different way. You know, yeah. they see it as like you know, like victory and um serving your lord. Mm-hmm. You know. And like later in the movie, I, I love that Falstaff um like he his plan was to sacrifice men and the plan was going to work and he was sure it was going to work but to be able to essentially live with that he had to be part of the group that went in to get sacrificed yeah you know to be the bait yeah right and like that's like that's truly what honor is and what these other lords are doing you know having these men fight for them in the name of honor isn't yeah, and then, you know, Falstaff tells Henry at like the campfire before that battle, like, you either give these men like the true reason why they're there, or you tell them like, you know, a, a beautiful a gl- lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that that's a great speech too. And I'm a like I'm a huge connoisseur of movie speeches, and they pulled off a really good right before the battle speech as well. Right. You know, I love it. Um, you but... are England, each and every one of you. England is you, right? The and it's space the between space you. between you. Find <laughs> yeah, yeah. for yourselves. <laughs> I love it. But um, another thing, uh, just a little further in the movie, uh, his the his brother, mm-hmm. um, yeah, his younger brother, his younger who, brother, who, who by the way is going to become the king. Yeah, the 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 king summons Henry, and he's like, you know what? I don't like you. You're never here. You just go and you get drunk. So you're going to be stepped over in succession. And your younger brother, who's more obedient and has all these ideas of glory, um, is going to be king. Because the king's dying, in ter- like Henry's father. He's very sick. Right. Um, but then... Uh, so his brother ends up dying and... Um, I love how that happens because I feel like in other movies you would have seen, um, you would have seen the fight. (laughs) Well, you would, right. You would have seen the fight because it's action and you would have seen his glory turn to nothing as he realizes what true violence is. Right. Yeah. Because essentially Um, the battle had already been won. And so literally what this guy does is he goes from one battlefield all the way over to another battlefield they literally say, oh, he went and he went and decided to go fight whales because he needed glory. And he says it's very interesting because there's a lot of parallels between both his brother and his father, Henry's brother and father, to mm-hmm. what ends up happening in his life over the story. But they say 
the you know when Henry gets the news that his brother died. Oh, because you know you stole the glory from the battlefield by killing this rebellious lord. He wouldn't decided to go fight Wales, who was another you know rebellious party against uh, the English king, and he died. He died <laughs> on the battlefield. You don't even know if he won. It should, they just say he died. You know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when Henry kills this Lord, you know, he's really upset. His younger brother's really upset because he's like, this was supposed to establish my dominion. You know, this was supposed to, uh, show that I was competent and able to be the king and so right. on and so forth. And they, he definitely does come off really well acted. He definitely does come off as boy pretending to be king. Yeah. Naive. Even though, even though Henry's sort of similar, but he has this sort of brooding nature that he pulls it off, you know? Well, I, I think uh, also Henry's uh, friendship with Falstaff um, gives him more of a cynical outlook on the world. And um, I think he already has one. You know, it, it's yeah, made clear true. that he already has one. He really does not like his father, and he sees what's happening, all this violence and all these people dying, as nothing else than the manifestation of his father's uh, flaws. His, he thinks his father is incredibly paranoid and all of this violence happening on the British Isles is do nothing other than to his father's paranoia, you know, uh, which is once again, another interesting to keep in mind <laughs> towards yeah. the end of the film. Um, and so this is like, that's the setup of the film essentially is his father's sick and dying. He's been stepped over for succession he still, he has an idea, like, he doesn't want his younger brother to die. And this is why he does this whole thing, and yet then his younger brother dies anyways. And so right. now, now, of course, his father dies, and he becomes coronated. That, and, that scene, though, where his father dies? Yeah. I, I, and he turns around to the lords, and he's like, you'll now serve this, well, even this before prince that, who when, you revile when, so much. Yeah, yeah. But even before <laughs> that, when his father is dying, and he's... He's his yeah, last he's saying hope, you right? have to. Yeah, he's um, like, it's as if his entire life is worth nothing if he doesn't. He's pleading with him to become the king. Yeah, he's begging and, and he's crying. Yeah. And it's... That's literally it's, all he wants. <laughs> it's pathetic. It's, it's, uh, it's a... It's, it's, I feel like there's a moment in... Oh, by the way, that's yeah. Ben Mendelsohn as well. So yeah, he's for great. everyone listening, it's yeah. like he pulls it off so fucking well. And I can't believe they got Ben Mendelsohn for, uh, you know, he's not in the movie 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. And like out of that 20 minutes, he's in there for like, what, six of them? Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> but um, um, it's it's kind of a heartbreaking moment, even though you know he hates his father. But like oh, yeah. for, to see your own father as such a pathetic being in his final moments. Yeah. You know, that's like, he wasn't a King then. He, mm -hmm. he was just like a broken man. And like, that's in that I moment, agree. he realizes how much stronger he is. Yeah. You know, and it, it's this weird, like I, I love complex scenes like that where, um, the character has to go through a lot of, uh, mixed emotions and it yeah. has, to, has, has to kind of process this strange thing in front of them. Yeah. It's a scene um, that elevates him as well, because in the previous scenes, he is subservient. You know, he right. does seem, even though he seems just in turn, you know, Henry, 
he seems right. just in his indignance towards his father. He does seem still much the boy and still very much not the powerful one. And this scene right. flips it all on its head where the lords are there just like they were in the scene where his father, his, the king, told him he wasn't going to get coronated in, in half succession. And so now he's in the scene where his father, it's literally the reverse flip. His father no longer has any health, is dying, is crying, begging him. And he seems, you know, Henry seems very much the adult now. And he has he has the power and it's also the lords are now subservient to him as opposed to his father. So it's another, it's a great, I love scenes like that in movies where there's a double take of scenes. There's a negative, right. you know, there's the original and there's the negative. And it's as simple as that. And it goes back to what you were saying about the theme in terms of like a lot of the filmmaking in this is so simple and yet so amazing. Well, it's just, it's very see, simple. I, well, I, what I want to, I actually kind of want to avoid calling it simple because I think, I think refined is a better word. Um, okay. Like it's, like it's been shaved down, right? Yeah. Um, because simplified, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's been simplified, um, where I think this type of filmmaking is actually incredibly hard, even though it's easy to process. Yeah. Right. Um, because what's happening is the director and the writer are doing all of the work for you, right? They've mm -hmm. presented it in such an easy to, um, grasp way that it's, it's, it's um it comes off word. like it would be easy to do almost you know right it's, exactly where yeah. where when you look at look behind the scenes and look how how much um just yeah all the work editing that goes it takes to it. get to this point you're basically coming yeah. full circle right you start with a simple idea yeah right and then you find out all the ways that you could <laughs> you could explore that simple idea and then instead of just ending with uh hey i just want to explore this you're like okay now let's refine it cut it down to the best way to uh say this idea yeah right yeah and i, I mean you're, you're completely right you know you're completely right i don't mean to say any of the, the opposite of that from calling it simple i mean it would be hard i mean a lot of this is pulled off in the moment even just think about what the actors have to do you can't just get any actor in there with the the script page and right. pull this off you know what i mean but it, it's just like it's not hidden under layers of needless complexity, you know, right. and it's, there's no convolution. It's, it's simple in the sense of like, it's, it's, uh, it's tried and tested, uh, techniques, you know what I mean? Used beautifully. It's like mm -hmm. a great piece of, uh, you know, formalistic classical music that is just being played through and the way it should be played through. And it's not like some industrial, uh, <laughs> uh, dubstep that someone's trying to do something new you know what i mean like right is i i really enjoy it um and yeah and that's just a great scene and then of course we're led into the coronation scene which is one of the the combination of the music and the visuals and the sound design mm -hmm. it's just i think it's possibly the most beautiful scene just that sort of it's almost a montage right sort of scene of him taking power um but now we meet uh, all these lords uh, now sort of become characters in the films, in the film, among yeah. which Sean Harris. Sean Harris is sort of becomes his trusted advisor. Right. Which, um, uh, like, yeah, we can just spoil it because. Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, Williams, this uh, becomes this trusted advisor, but he's he's the, you know, devil in his ear. 
Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- this kind of starts playing into what I thought this movie was about. And I think, uh, what's her name? Catherine's super important. Um, in that at the end, the French princess that he takes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ride. Um, yeah, so let's but, just get to it then. Let's yeah. just let's get into the message of the movie because we've we've established everything really. We've talked about the the grand plot of this is uh, Sean Harris, who plays William, who is the advisor to this new king, essentially establishes himself as the trusted ally, and he's like, "Oh, I completely get you, Henry. I completely get you. You want to be a different father. You want to bring peace to the realm." Mm-hmm. And all this time throughout the film, he's actually orchestrating like a puppet master. Uh, the you know a story for Henry to believe where he's the, the good guy for war, yeah, well. where he's the good guy, uh, in in leading up to this war with France because William wants to enrich himself as a lord and he'll get a bunch of the land if they win because he's like the the high lord you know right. second right hand you know fist of the king so on and so forth, and and so what you see is like during celebrations you see the events like. The French king, who's apparently this mad king, um, that's his reputation, sends him a ball, you know? And this is, like, all the advisors try to say, hey, this is an insult. But not not uh, Henry, you know? Uh, no, not, not Henry. Not William, you know, Sean Harris's character. He's yeah. like, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. You're not, We shouldn't take this as a provocation to Henry. And then there's a bunch of other things, you know? There's, like, an assassin that's sent and right. you know sean brings this assassin to him and well, there's of course also he would trust that are because he, yeah he was yeah he was the one that said yeah. that they shouldn't go to war um and then there are lords that are approached i believe actually approached by the french king uh through messengers and those lords come to sean harris's character they're like oh my goodness the french are sort of freaking out what do we need to do about this king? Because he's sending threats of war now. Because this is what... And Henry's actually sending these threats of war in a way of trying to forestall war. Like, like, please stop. Like, I really don't want a bunch of people to die. Like, let's not do this. But these are coming off as real threats of war. And then Sean Harris's character is able to use this as a way of, like, even pushing Henry even farther. And it, there's this great scene where he has to execute his cousin. And one of his loyal lords uh, for treason for talking to this these these French agents and uh, going to Sean's character as if they like sort of agree, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is once again this is like a sunk cost, and this comes back, you know, a little bit to haunt him later on. But to cut to the chase, uh, yeah. they go to France, they go to war, they win, and Henry. Uh, Go, there's this great scene where he's talking to the king of France, and the king of France offers his daughter in marriage. And the reason is, and this is where like the, the message of the movie, to some degree, not ex, you know, sort of explicitly, but not in all its uh, detail, mm-hmm. is brought up, which is like you're determined by your family, you know, like your family is like the most important thing in your life. At least this is how I see it, right? Sure, and, sure. And, like, this is a big key into what the film's trying to talk about here. And so they go back to France. And, of course, uh, Falstaff has died. Falstaff died in the battle. He had the great plan. He saved the day. Mm -hmm. And 
they go back to England and there's this great there's this great background noise. Once again, what you can do with sound, where mm-hmm. the crowd is chanting his name throughout these last few scenes. And you can hear it through the castles. You get these last three scenes of the castle. And he goes and talks to his his bride to be and he goes over some of these details. Uh and she like, refused them, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Um so actually if I could get into yeah. I'm not sure exactly how to um, articulate the meaning yet, but um, I'm there with you. But I got ideas, so well, let's right, go right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, but I think this is um, this is another movie about you know um, just like uh, King Arthur about what makes a great king, right? Mm-hmm. Or what makes a king? Um, yep. Um, and not necessarily just the king, but um, it's prob- probably something about greatness, right? Greatness, um, a man as well. Right. I think you could just distill it down A great man, that. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of mov- other movies show this through triumph and success, mm-hmm. where... Um, this is a tragedy, this in is, a sense. This, this movie is yeah, a tragedy. This is a, this is a failure. Yeah. Right? This is a giant mistake yeah and you um, get the feeling of an almost gladiator-esque a gladiator-esque ending you're like oh my goodness he fucking did it at the end of the movie and then the last five minutes just flipped the entire thing on its head right and he t- and what i think is the moment he became a great man was the moment where he stabbed william in the back of the head when he was groveling at his feet <laughs> yeah um yeah and that is Sean's character by the way yeah I yeah keep saying and Sean. this movie almost like I, I kind of felt like it, it, there was this uneasy feeling throughout the whole movie that um, and I, I kind of want to get into how this was accomplished in a second but um, the movie sets this uneasy tone yeah, very right. much. I can't trust anyone. That's even why he went and got Falstaff. He like right, you know, right, recruited Falstaff. He's like, I can't. I've been forced to rely on the counsel of men that I do not trust. Um, you know, right. And here, I'll actually just talk about this right now in uh, minor detail. But yeah, um, in a lot of the music, they do this thing where they have um, the horns and the choir play the same high note um, instead of playing like uh, separate notes. Yeah. Right, so they play the same high notes, and some of the horns will be off, like out of tune a little bit. They'll they'll bend the note, so it creates mm. dissonance with the other with like the choir, right? That's so good, um, and it creates this very very uneasy feeling. And th- but they put it on top of kind of this more, um, you know, uh, I guess, I guess more like traditional music, yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, so like, yes, you can tell they're at war. You can tell that like war isn't good and just through the music, right? Like they're doing a hard thing, but they're pressing on. But then there's this like weird dissonance in it. Like there's something amiss. Right. Yeah. And you can essentially feel that through the whole movie until um, the end there. Right. Yeah, and, there's something going on, and the movie, you know, it beautifully distracts you. 
because it, yeah. it focuses you on the French. Right. Uh, well, there's this whole other subplot going on, and that's the great thing. It brings it up at the very beginning. You're right. It establishes it in the music. I'm so glad that you're literate in that subject <laughs> so that you can... Because I could talk about how the music made me feel, you know, but I'm not literate enough to pick out notes and exactly what they're doing. Sure. But you, you even have it established, you know, he has the whole conversation with his sister, who's now like the Queen of Denmark. Right. She's like, oh, you know, she comes to his coronation, and she's like, oh, just be careful, you know. Oh, these men have kingdoms in their eyes. I love that line yeah. so much. It's probably oh. straight from Shakespeare. I wouldn't doubt yeah, it yeah. straight from the Shakespeare. Um, but... and. And one thing I would like to talk about as well is uh, I would I would like to bring it back before we go too much into the, the music for a second here because we sort of brushed over the ending out of nowhere. Yeah, but yeah. It's just sort of like a full circle and then we can dive a little bit more deep into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he's talking to his new French bride, uh, she has this great line, do you feel a sense of achievement? You know? <laughs> right. And you can tell he totally does because he feels like he bested his father. He right, was the right. great king. His father he could did never what be. He, couldn't do, yeah. he brought peace to England. He didn't want to go to war with France, but when he did, he fucking won. Right. You know, and he, you could tell. You know, he definitely it's the feels hubris, a sense right? of it's, it's, yeah. And hubris. Well, he wanted to be a great king, pure and simple. He wanted the exact same thing that he his father wanted. You know. Well, I, th- I think won- I think I think he did truly want. See, I th- I think you know what this actually touches on another message. Um, where I think a great king is always someone who doesn't want to be like, because someone who wants that sure. power never has the ability to rule. Well, um, I, you know, that's interesting and we should get into that. Yeah. But I do think there's a, I do think there's, you know, I do think there's an element of ambition, you know, when you see no, there definitely some of the is. great figures of history, history, but, like, uh, see, Alexander the great, hold he on, wanted hold on, it. Um, he totally fucking wanted it. Genghis in this Khan, instance, he wanted it. <laughs> right. Right. But, Great king, right? Not necessarily great conqueror. Right? Sure. Well, um, I would just say that great, and I think this is also it adheres to the movie, is uh, a more uh, a morally neutral term, and uh, it, it's also it's also a story in many ways uh, that we tell ourselves. Well, here you know, let me let me actually think, no, no hold on real fast. Yeah, sure, One sure. little quick thing: when Falstaff tells him, uh, and this is something I remember, you know, either tell him the truth or tell him a beautiful lie. This is exactly what William, what Sean's character, was doing with him. He was being told a beautiful lie, and he was the army that Sean's character was mustering. And uh, and it's a very similar thing, you know? He wanted to just be told that his ambition aligned with what was right in, in many ways. Yeah, well, uh, I think that was one of the pitfalls, though, um, because that yeah. that was something that contributed to his failure to see the manipulations around him yeah right um and he really ended up uh he really ended up um coming full circle with uh william at the end i would actually argue is that at the very beginning he he acted honorably and like i think that scene where he uh went in and challenged uh the rebellious lord yeah. Um, in the stead of his brother and those people and mm-hmm. one, that was a very uh, noble thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. And he won that battle for for them without shedding or with only with only killing one man, right? Um Yeah. 
and at the very end he's been manipulated pushed like none of the actions that brought him glory were his own right um and he was he he very much went from believing that he was you know truly going to be this great king that bested his father to realizing that he was nothing more than a puppet for the forces that be right mainly william here um sure and well, he, I, I, you know, real fast here. Yeah. Um, I disagree, and we're gonna get into it. I sure. don't disagree on everything, but I disagree on some. But here, let me, let take me a quick finish break. really quick though. We're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back, and Nick is gonna continue on. <laughs> and real fast, we're gonna be listening to a song, one of the great songs in the movie, "Ballad in F Minor," Trebuchets, and that'll go for about two minutes, and we'll be right back. when you draw all these scenes together and you see what he's trying to do here at the beginning he's a man that doesn't want to be king right and then is mm-hmm. told that he's not going to be king that his brother's going to be king and then he does something that's which is an action worthy of a king right and ends up through a series of circumstances end up ends up actually becoming the king but only because everyone else is dead right and then he kind of gets into this court where everybody's manipulating him. Everybody wants something. Everybody, like, like his, um, what was it? His cousin puts it. All these men have kingdoms in their eyes. His right? sister. His yeah. sister, right? Um, and then he, he continues on. He's paranoid of everyone. Everyone seems to be trying to manipulate him. He finds one man that he feels like he can trust, William, but he ends up being the most manipulative of them all. Yeah. Right. Um, he ends up being puppeted, puppeted into going to war with France. Right. And giving William everything that he wants and all these men and all this, um, all the glory, even Falstaff's honorable death is all for this one man's gain. Yeah. For the lies. Right. And he gets his wife, Right, his or his bride to be, yeah. and she kind of makes this apparent to him. And at this point, 
Um, it gets into maybe my favorite scene in the movie is which uh, when William is getting fitted. Yeah, um, interrogates him. <laughs> yeah, he interrogates him and t- keeps telling him to stay on the stool, stay above him. And I, I love that because uh, it's this like, it's also this, um, I felt like it was this duality between what the filmmaker was trying to say and where he positioned the characters, right? Where mm-hmm. William was like sitting in this chair, or sorry, um, how Henry was sitting in this chair and William was standing above him, but it was this very precarious position, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah great blocking. Right. And he ends up going through and exposing his lies for what they were, right? And finding out that he he used him yeah. and he used the war in order to acquire more land. Yeah. Right? And yeah. this is the moment then, where I felt like he became a great man again. And it's a it's a it's actually a lot like his scene from the beginning where he challenged this rebellious Lord, right. Where he, he got down and did something, um, did something dirty, right. Did something disturbing and, um, you know, dishonorable, violent, right. Yeah. Violent. And kills Sean. Yeah. And, and at the, at the very beginning, he kills this, lord to save his brother and save all these men right and it's a very simple situation and at at the very end it's this very complex like you're playing with the big boys now situation right and he handles it the same way he takes it upon his own hand williams groveling in front of him and he just kills him no nonsense no public execution it's just you know yeah just a quick little dagger right really uh brutal it is very um, brutal and it's it's just and then, and then he immediately just walks and he goes to his bride to be and he's like just i'll ask nothing other of you other than just tell me the truth just never lie to me right and well and, and then, i think that's in the background you know king henry king henry right. well and <laughs> i think that's henry, also yeah. a mirror to his like pomp and circumstance coronation with you know the baptism all the ceremony where they're like, now you're king. And I, I feel like this is the moment where he becomes this great king. Right? Yeah. I mean, as we talk about it, I think a lot of this film is built on uh, contrast. Where yeah, juxtap- it establishes... Yeah, juxtaposition. Right. It establishes all these things and then has sort of a different scene that deals with all of them again at the end. And... Um, I would just say, like, where I mostly agree with what you're saying, and I mostly agree with uh, what you're reading in there, mm-hmm. I would say that uh, this is a man who does want to be the king. I would say that I didn't get the impression that he didn't want to be king. I got the impression that, you know, he wasn't going to let his father, uh, you know, make him visibly upset or so on and so forth, but that he, his father wanted to be a great king in the sense of what his father thought a great king was but so did he so did um henry he wanted to be a great king in contrast to what he thought his father was and he also if he was going to be king he wasn't going to be paranoid and he wasn't going to see treason behind you know every lord's words and so on and so forth and he was going to try to be amicable and diplomatic and so forth and i think what you saw is that he became 
the great king in many ways that his his that his father wanted to be. He sort of became in a small way his father and that's why it, it just shocked him and why he just rushed his wife at the very end, his bride to be. Um, yeah. So you're saying you're saying that staff, the ending has something to do with um has something to do with the family element of this, which Well, yeah, I think yeah. there's there's an there's an it's a tragedy. It's like a triumphant tragedy. It's really weird. I really love that. Yeah. Um, well, maybe but... maybe there's something between those two here, right? Because both are in the movie, right? Um, you have his you have his sister saying that all these men have king, kingdoms in their eyes. You have the manipulation. You have this. Um, um, and whether he wanted to be king at the beginning or not, I think is. Uh, I, I actually kind of feel like it wasn't so much that he wanted it or not, but more that he didn't care. Um, Maybe. I think he cared. Well, because I mean, he, I think there's a like moment what where Falstaff he, said to him. It's like, you know, you're going to regret this if you don't go. Uh, it's better to not regret not having gone. Right, it's, right. You know, when he's um, deciding whether or not he's going to go. Well, also his, his, his actions just make it seem like he didn't want to be like he's oh, he's never there. He's always drinking, you know, and then the there was a um switch for me that i saw right um it was the scene where he was dying where um he comes in to essentially tell tell his father off at, at his on his deathbed right and yeah. there's this switch that happens where he where he decides that he's going to do it yeah right and that's kind of what I felt the emotional arc in that scene was for Henry's character. So that's kind of that's uh, one of the major reasons why before I felt like he didn't he either didn't want it or didn't care who it was going to go to. And I don't I think if you've you've you know, we know these people, uh, people that have very strong morals. And this is someone Henry strikes you as this kind of person. He has a much sure. a, a really idea about how bad things are and how better they could be. And every single one of these people, if they could, would like to change it. Sure. And that's why he tries to even well, I think save his brother. I think that's different from um, wanting to be king. And what I mean by wanting to be king But it is wanting is greatness. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and but I think that's what I mean by that is that that parallel is even drawn with his brother, right? I think his brother wants to be the king. He wants glory out of battle, right? He he like wants these things. He wants the title. But that's sort of what he ended up doing anyways. Well, you know, well, you, I need to do this to establish here, my dominion. Uh, that's a had very similar before. reasoning that Sean Harris, uh, his character, gave. Uh, I, well, I think right Henry. now you're getting hung up on something and we're miscommunicating a little bit. Um, sure. We've had this talk before about people, uh, about filmmakers that want to be directors right um and how when a filmmaker wants to be a director and doesn't want to make film they end up making pretty bad movies right um and not what i'm what i'm saying is that i think good directors aren't there to be directors they're there to make a film yeah. right I think Henry in this case is there to be a great man and change things in a great way. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily to be the King. I think his brother wants to be the King. He wants the crown. He wants the fancy, 
like dress thing, right? Sure. <laughs> he wants the court in front of him. He wants the power, right? But yeah. there's no there's no ends to that, right? No, you're right. You're right in the sense that the younger brother wants to be almost an imitation of the father, where he doesn't want to be the imitation of his father. And this is why he doesn't sting him as much, you know, when he said, you're not going to have succession to Henry. And he's just concerned about his brother. But he does want greatness, you know. And uh, he definitely sees, I think, the crown as his father's dying as an avenue in that scene. Even, right. Exactly, you know? exactly. He sees the crown as a means, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's the big difference. And that's what I mean when I say he doesn't want to be king, right? Like, Well, not, not necessarily at the very beginning. But, you know, as he's in his own court, will this drama is developing with the French in terms of whether or not they're going to go to war. He's very much talking to Sean Harris's character, William, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, I want to be a great king. Like, that's almost always said in their conversations. It's like, you know, you know, you want to be a king of the people. You want to be a great king. You know, kings are presented with choices that no one I, else I actually felt like it was uh, Sean's character that was pushing that. I, th I felt like he was, he was essentially trying to install a sense of ambition in him. Right. Yes, yeah, but he was receptive. He did. He was receptive. Right. Well, he was receptive. He the generally whole time. did want it. He got and that's what Sean even says on his knees. It's like, I gave to shoot what you wanted before he gets stabbed. I made you a great king. Uh, you know? Right, right. And, but uh, that's... and it rings true. That's what he wanted. It rings true. And that's part of his own disgust. And that's why he has to. He kills him. Well, uh, I, but I don't. I also don't think this character is the same through the whole movie. And I think his. His. Um, desire changes throughout the movie um, because of all the influence that's coming in from outside. Right. And yeah. he even gets to the point in the, like, and, and this is something that I noticed too, is it, he even gets to the point in that battle where he almost sentences Falstaff to death, right. For disagreeing with him. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, that happened, but I think you have to put it in the context of like they were having a tiff as best friends. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It didn't come off with severity when you're watching this scene. And even Falstaff is like, "No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. Like, stop kidding yourself." And he just walks out. Right, but um, what what I'm saying is, I feel like what 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 we're watching in this movie is his evolution as a character. And what he's the change that he's undergoing, and the pitfalls of power and ambition, and the weakness that 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 brings you, right? Because that's all sure. his father was, and I think. What... So illustrate to me then uh, how, uh, um, because you brought this up in terms of contrast of him wanting to be a great king, right? So how what 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 do you mean by in terms of trying to bring that up as a counterpoint to to that, because. I see him from essentially the moment his father dies, sort of desiring greatness and it being framed to him in a frame that he accepts from Sean's character as being a great king. Uh, so where along the line in these in these in his change in his arc does it sort of stop him where he stops sort of desiring being a great king or something like that? Uh, where he stops desiring being a great king? Well, no, I think that or whatever you're trying to commit. Uh, so I, I think communicate. I think that desire, right, that ambition is like, is essentially when you look at his father, right, all he was was that ambition, right? And the difference between his and father, Carolina. his brother, and Henry, right, is mm -hmm. 
what we see with the rebellious Lord at the beginning, right? That moment, that, that moment that had nothing to do with him being King, right. And him being himself, right. That yeah. moment that he finally comes back to at the end of the movie, right. Exactly. When he stabs William in the head. And like he, he, he finds actually has a moral through, code. He finds yeah. himself through all this clutter again. And absolutely is able to, um, well, I would completely agree with you. If yeah. if what you're saying is he has a change there at the very ending, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, but what I'm saying essentially is from the moment uh, his father dies uh, to his conversation with his bride-to-be where she reveals uh, that the French weren't doing any of those things that provoked him into war, and he realizes that Sean's character was manipulating him, in that he's desiring greatness and it's framed him in such a way that he accepts as being a great king. Um, and this is part of the, you know, this is, this is intertwined with the message, the inside of the film. Um, it's, you know, well, do you, go ahead. so I think, uh, there, there's a lot of, um, I think one thing that they did really well with Henry's character in this is, his um he i felt like he be, he becomes power drunk throughout this right and falstaff pulls him out of that uh during this and, and that's yeah, kind of what i meant moment was, where when, when you said says, it was execute a, it all was the prisoners hit between best friends i kind of saw it as more than that where like um what's his name uh joel i can't remember his last name joel egerton yeah yeah well, false. Yeah. So Falstaff is talking to him and you, Joel did such a good job at, um, playing this scene where there is fear there that he's going to like, he's not incredibly confident in him saying that you wouldn't do that. Right. And I think that's why they actually held on, on him after he left. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's more of him just being upset with how his friends acting just sort of like, what the fuck? Right, but I mean, you, we have to think of it in fear. context of what he is now, right? Well, I think it's even more important to your point, frankly, to why they're why he's upset, which is he ordered the execution of all the French prisoners, right? And uh, he's like, "No, you can carry out that massacre by yourself." Falstaff, right? He says this, and then he's like, "Well, you dare refuse me? You know, this is treason." And once again, this is an interesting once again double take a juxtaposition with uh, William's character, Sean's character, mm-hmm. William, where uh, Joel Egerton, Falstaff either has nothing to say or he has stuff to say that uh, no one really likes to hear. Whereas right. William's character is this total soothsayer. Right. Um, and uh, and I think it's it's more, you're right. And then there's even that moment where at the very end of the battle and Falstaff is dead, uh doesn't he order uh, his? He orders the, the the French army's running away, and they're like, "Oh, what the hell are we gonna do?" They might. Or no, they had prisoners, like, right? Yeah, they and the prisoners were running away. Yeah, okay. And they and they, were, to they came to him exactly, and they're like, "What are we gonna do?" They could regroup, and he's just like, "Run them down and kill them. Like, yeah. don't even try to like take them." You know. So you're right. I don't disagree with you uh, pushing this idea that he does he does become hardened and definitely more brutal as the film goes on but let's let's uh let's let's move it forward here for a second and let's sort of get to 
uh, I could go first and then you go second, and then we could continue to disagree to some degree because neither of us have completely got out what we think the film uh, no, is we haven't. as best as we can. You know what I mean? Like me and you have both said already, like we don't know. It's this is always a thing with some of the greatest movies is you can't you can't encapsulate it. You know, especially if you have only seen it a couple well, times. You you can. Uh, um, th- that's the thing is like I I feel like. I feel like yeah, I was about to say you can, but right, I, but it, it takes it's hard a lot, and I think the reason that it takes a lot is because um, these great movies never really—they're um, not covering simple things, right? They're covering yeah. co- covering very profound things. And also, if something's great, there's a, there's an element of it that is unquantifiable. That doesn't mean the message or the insight can't be discovered. It very much can, but it it's hard, you know, when the it's hard when seeing something that, as we talked about in our first episode, we both agree to this sort of holistic idea of filmmaking. Well, how do you understand the holistic idea of filmmaking uh, by breaking things down into the parts and analyzing their parts? You know, there's that's a certain kind of magic, is what we mean. At least what I mean when uh, the unity of all the different parts come together. Right. You kind of have when you to... break it down. You sort of lose the that intangible magic. To some degree. Well, see, what that's and why you I think can't it's important quantify it. to bring it full circle, right? I think yeah. I think if you if you don't break it down, you're simply just being naive, right? If you break yeah. it down and stay there, you're just you're lost in the woods again, right? But I think if you break it down, see the parts for what they are, and then put it back together and are able to see it in its whole again, that's usually when you end up finding the yeah. And I was, yeah, I was about to end what I was saying. is like, obviously, you need to study these films and you need to break them down. But no matter what you do, that intangible, magical, great quality is, n- is never something that you're ever going to be truly able to put under a microscope. And uh, what you do is you just you study the film as best as you, you can. And obviously, you can watch a scene and you can tell, oh, the, the reason this scene was great is, as Nick said, there's this dissonance in the notes. And then we're also using this oil like cinematography where there's sort of like a deep focus but for lighting and then we have this great acting and then we have this juxtaposition of this scene in the first act with the scene in the last act and we could say all that but uh it's a piece of artwork you know at the end of the day if it does its job if it's truly something great uh there's a there's a magical intangible quality that you can't uh truly get to by dissecting it by literally cutting the hole and looking at the part uh you know you can, you know, you know, as a shitty analogy, you know, you can understand a lot about a frog by dissecting it, right? But <laughs> there's a certain frogness uh, that you can never get to from um, just dissecting a frog. I think I, I would argue with you a little there, saying that I think yeah. maybe. Um, I'm just saying it's not the sum of its parts. Well, sure, but I, I think maybe our. Um, because we've been studying this for a long time, but we're no we're no master filmmakers, and um, yet at least hopefully. <laughs> but um, I, I think maybe that it's it's this magical unknown quality could also just be a manifestation of what we don't know yet. You know, that's true. Um, that's true. I I have a romantic view of these things. When something is great, it's great uh, in a realm. That's, uh, you know, right. I almost and, want to say beyond reason. But, <laughs> yeah, and I have, uh, a, I have a butt my head against the walls many times as it takes <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. of things. But um, no, basically what I'm 
what I'm getting at is... Was, yeah, get, say your message of the movie. Yeah. Well, see, the thing that I'm still... Because... Here, let, let me say this first. I think for... For you, for you to understand the message of a movie, you have to know why every scene's there, right? And I think what you're touching on right now is the, um, like, kind of this message about family and lineage and kind of this inevitability of repetition, right? Mm. And um, I'm kind of touching on this uh, pursuit of greatness and... Uh, this failure to do so and the ease in which you can slip into um, becoming someone else's kingdom. Right. Yeah. Um, So those two things definitely have something in common. And I I don't know, I don't know how to articulate it yet, but I'd like to try to put these things under a microscope. Sure. No, yeah, okay, and what I would like to say then uh, is, to me, the film is, it's a tragedy for mm-hmm. me. Um, that's that's the, the genre that I think most encapsulates the film. Yeah, I, I and, agree And it's essentially about how a, a person's ambition to do the right thing uh in contrast to their family, their peers, their mentors, their elders, uh, can be in, in these circumstances through in a political arena, uh, can be perverted to do the exact same, the opposite thing that they wanted to do. Uh, it's about family as you said i definitely see that really strongly it's about the father having such a determinate effect on the son even if it's it's supposed to be in contrast to him it's about the brother having an effect on him and you even see this parallel to some degree with uh how the french talk about their family but we don't have to get into that and there's also a lot of you know there's a lot of subtle uh additional themes in there that i I really like there's a lot about honesty and lies, and you see this really contrasted between Falstaff and William. And I would say ultimately the message of the movie uh, for me comes down to something about uh, desiring greatness as a king mm-hmm. and how that can be perverted and how you're attempted how your attempt at sort of an earthly material greatness uh, can be used by evil forces for you to do something that uh, when you discover the truth is only, you know, can be viewed as heinous. Right. Uh, right. And you know, you know, something that I want to touch on too, um, to build on that is um, because he kind of has this return to his, initial self at the end of the film right this yeah um because he has he has this return to clarity to cynicism or i, I shouldn't say cynicism to uh well skepticism. I, I think that's actually a really good word right as well cynicism. okay um because cynicism is definitely used as 
skepticism, but in the political arena. Sure. So sure. cynicism, I think, is perfect. Um, and his return to uh, brutality. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, maybe brutality is the wrong word because he was still brutal before too, or like, yeah, I don't think brutality, but what it, it lines with the scene as we pointed out now a couple of times, yeah. the scene where he kills the rebellious Lord and this, the scene where he kills the second rebellious Lord, you right. know, where he's killing two traitors. Right. Essentially. And um, these are mirrors, mirrors of each other. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, it's just, he kills this guy and it almost feels like the right thing to do. Right. Because he has a, f- yeah, this, this Lord was, he, he this sent Lord all... cost him the life of his best friend. It cost the life of, of how many, yeah, Englishmen? exactly. Exactly. How so many, many Frenchmen and, and at the beginning that were beheaded in a forest. Right. Right. This. And yeah, at the very beginning, he, he duels the rebellious Lord in order to mm-hmm. save the life of his brother and all those people. And yeah. at the end, he kills this Lord because he killed his, fr- his best friend and all those soldiers. Right. Yeah. And, and, and at least that's the way he see, sees it. Right. Where this man is responsible for all of those deaths. Yeah. Right. And, and his attempt at being great is also revealed in this moment as being hollow. Right. Exactly. Where he wanted to be the great King in contrast to his father, but now he only feels as if he is his father. He's become extraordinarily paranoid in right. one moment, just like his father. And he now sees his enemies within the castle as opposed to outside the castle, just like right. his father. And there's probably a story after this where the Williams family rebels and England's no longer united, you know, because right. he killed William. So, um, well, and it's so there's and I love this this um because when you were watching the execution of his uh cousin and the other lord like that didn't seem like like nothing about that felt right you know whereas when he when when he literally was beating the shit out of a rebellious lord in the like middle of a grass field and stabbed him with a knife in the throat right like that felt right it felt right (laughs) (laughs) right And then this at the end again, like it's almost like the mistake was already made. And yeah, there's no way to salvage it at this point. It's just like, oh shit. Right. And he kills him and it it feels right again, but it's almost tainted at this point. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and I, I, I feel that this movie ends with him truly discovering what makes, what is going to make him one of the great Kings. Right. Yeah, and I also think it, it's almost similar to what you were saying earlier. Is part of the message of this film is sort of the hollowness of of pursuing greatness in, in politics. Yeah, I would almost say like, the vanity of it. Um, yeah, and yeah, with him realizing this now is paradoxically right. Right, his attempt now to actually be a, a good king, but he, you know, in this moment. Uh, he's not even concerned about that. He's concerned about his own sanity because he realizes he's a breath away from being his father. And that's why he rushes to his bride to be. And he's like, just don't lie to me. Please don't lie to me. You know, (laughs) like I need Falstaff is gone and I have no one else. And if I have to deal with Lords like this around me, I'm going to end up being like my father. Right. 100%. Well, and cause I, I, I actually love that moment because I feel like, I feel like before that, um, 
in his first interaction with his bride to be uh it starts with her obviously like she she's a captive princess right uh she, she was in just sense, tra- yeah. yeah she was just traded for peace essentially yeah. to a king that came into her homeland to kill you know brother. wage war right yeah which um, is you know do you mind if i interrupt yeah, you yeah, first here i have something to go back to what we said about pompous greatness well, a character we have not focused on at all was played by robert pattinson oh yes a great actually let's actor. put a bookmark on um, and that, like come back to it because i think there's okay. a lot there that we have to talk about okay um well, i i call dibs now yeah just no go ahead, go ahead <laughs> but um i i just, just want to say that i love this scene how it how it kind of evolves and um it starts with her almost being disgusted by. Well, she makes what, a power play first, right? Exactly. Like, you have to earn my respect, which is like reasonable, right? And, um, but I think, I think when she and he, sees, he views himself as the good guy, right? So he's like, of course, of course, right? And I think in the very last moment of this scene, when she sees the because she talks about how she could see the truth in her father's eyes, you know, she's very she's a very perceptive individual, so I think mm-hmm. when she sees that he truly did not understand what she was saying right Mm. at the end of this. And he immediately goes somewhere, right. Mm. To rectify this mistake, right. Yeah. That this decision was made instantly in his mind, right. That this was not okay. And he was not going to stand for it. Right. Yeah. Um, Which is why you still like him. Right. And, you still like him because at the end of the day, he he wanted to do what was right. right. He wanted like a true greatness. And I think know? in the last moment of the scene, she sees that in him and um, like respects him for it, right? Yeah. And there's kind of this chemistry right at the very end when he comes back to her, right? And you can mm-hmm. you can see this great pairing that's being born right here. Yeah. Right. I mean, this guy was one of the great kings of history. Right, well. right. Um, uh, and this, I believe, is the true coronation, right? The very last scene of the film is the true coronation, right? You have the yeah, crowd a, chanting for him. You have him mm-hmm. coming to, like, believe in his bride. Yeah, right. William on his knees, I made you a great right. king. <laughs> I made you a great king. right. Yeah. And it's it's tainted and yet it's great and yet there's a little bit of redemption. Well, and I think but there's a tragedy to it all. And right, he's worried right. about becoming. He's now worried, as he should be, about becoming his father because he realizes, like I feel like he has more sympathy for his father. You know, yeah, like he would in in those last scenes, definitely. Uh, because he's like, oh, it's so easy for that to happen, well, and I'm a breath away from that happening. And see, I actually, yeah. I actually want to um, juxtapose this to another movie, um, King Arthur, which is another very underrated film. Um, yeah, but I want to juxtapose it here because I feel like um, in King Arthur there was this. It, it has a similar message, but it was simplified um, mm. in comparison. And it was more right. of a blockbuster as well, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, uh, which which leads to the simplifying by nature, and that's not a bad thing. Right, right. But I think um, overcoming this, um, I, I think what this movie did well in showing us, um, like what part of becoming a great man or a king, right? Um, what part of that uh, we miss in King Arthur is this idea of the um of the tainting of his soul right 
Oh, yeah. And yeah. him, like, this being a part of becoming a great man, right? Interesting. Um, because I, I don't think you can live in this world and not, you know, especially if you're you're trying to do something of this magnitude, there's almost no way to be, like, to stay pure in that position, right? Mm. You're, at some point, you will make a horrible, horrible mistake, right? Like he's Yeah, done. I mean, that is, William, as a character, gives uh, Henry a lot of actually good advice, even though he's using it as a manipulative tactic. Right. And one of the things he says, which is totally true, is a king has to ponder weekly questions that uh, any other man would never have to decide upon in his entire life. Well, and you know? I, I love that. I love that so much because it's good advice, but it's framed in a way that bolsters his ego, right? That, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's like you have the attempt to be great by making the correct decision, where it's just like, no, I'm actually, I should, I should have like a clarity of mind almost, and be like, man, I just have to do, I have to do what I have to do, you right? Know, exactly. As opposed to, yeah. Um, and in this final moment, he's not, and it's it's funny because like i feel like a lot of a lot of movies that surround the throne right or uh rulership i guess um they they always have like this perfect king right that's sidelined or and you know the bad king is on the throne and you know and once the good king gets on the throne that's it it's great it's you know Boom. It's done. You, you uh, you've won. You just se- right. <laughs> you segued it into the major thing I wanted to talk about, and we have not gotten to talk about it yet. Sure, um, an hour. Yeah, which and then, is um, the morality of the film, and this is yeah, a concept yeah. that I've talked to you about. And this will be quick, but yeah, the moral center of the film. This is a huge thing for me whenever I'm watching a movie, which is how do they handle morality? How do they make you feel about decisions? What's the weight they give you those decisions? How do how does the uh, conclusions or catharsis of these decisions feel? And one thing I wanted to say about this movie is it's a brilliant example of establishing a moral center, a moral universe, where you've created a world that actually has a consistent, reasonable morality that you portray in the story. And there's a moral center in the sense that you establish a right and wrong in this universe. And your characters have moral courage. And right. moral courage does not mean they're good. It means that they are seeing their choices and their hard choices. There's no clear right and wrong. Because if there's a clear right and wrong for every single decision uh, your character has to make, then there's no drama, frankly, well, in the decisions also, they're making. Um flaccid for lack of a better word, yeah, right? And it's not realistic. Yeah. Right? That's part of it being like it's a lie. Right. Uh because if you are attempting to do great things, right, like we just said, like you should view it as this is what I have to do. And he was tricked into thinking, you know, that I have to do this really bad thing in order to do a really good thing. Mm-hmm. But one thing I really wanted to establish about this is one of my big issues with watching any sort of medieval movie. Uh, I think about uh, Outlaw King recently came out by a great director and it's a good movie. Uh but they they project a modern morality on hmm. a different time in right. history. This movie does not have that. Right. This movie is brilliant because it genuinely feels medieval. The characters do not 
act and they do not presume things should be as if they are today in terms of how characters are expected to interact with each other in terms of a respect basis in terms of an ethical basis the the, the social um structure of the society is not questioned it seems very fine you know i think um and normal to everyone and this is a, a brilliant thing to me i love it when a movie not only makes all of its main characters including falstaff i mean look at the decisions he had to make he had to right. give up his life in order to sell uh sell the winning battle the winning strategy in the battle and well i mean all these other they were going to do it anyways i think i think it was more of a matter of that falstaff felt that he was it was his responsibility to um join um in the diversion right yeah because he was sending these men to their deaths right and this is actually actually great juxtaposition to um um the the other prince at this time uh the french prince right who's sitting in his chair as he watches this battle unfold in front of him right um (laughs) falstaff says you know i'm sending these men to their death it's only right that i join them yeah right um that was a very powerful moment for me and i think that that was a very powerful moment for um for uh henry as well and most likely directly resulted in this last scene where he kills william yeah right because yeah, because they have they, they build chair. this tension between them, and then it's like the the tensions dissolved, and they realize how great friends they are. Right. Um, and I mean, it's even portrayed it like when we've said this a few times already, but when Falstaff says uh, to Henry, uh, you know, either tell them the reason we're here, and if it's not a good reason, tell them a magnificent lie. Once again, this is what I mean about a moral center, mm. you know, and like moral courage, because it's like, well, if it's a lie, it's a lie, but you got to do it in order for a greater thing. Because if you demoralize these men, or if you do not properly they're going to die for battle, they're going to die. <laughs> right. So once again, it's, it's, uh, it's not that I want to say that you have to create a un- moral universe. that's gray, because I don't even necessarily agree with that. It can be black and white if you want it to be black and white, but the things people have to do in order to achieve uh, what they believe is good, which is, frankly, most stories revolve around something that can be described like that. Um, there's got to be sacrifice, and there's got to be, um, there's got to be them uh, making trade-offs. You know, right? This is actually uh, one of the. Otherwise, reasons. you can't be connected. You can't get invested in the same way. So I just think an A plus in this regard for this movie. Yeah, that's movie actually one of the reasons why I um, that I didn't really like the uh, Hunger Games movies. Um, was because the the villain in those movies just felt um, so devoid of any um, reason. It was almost yeah. like he was evil to be evil in order to justify yeah. the hero's actions. And it yeah. was, I put on this uh, show where people die. <laughs> yeah, and it was, <laughs> it, was it was vacant of any um, yeah. any sort of ambition on his part or any sort this of just, um, to rule people. Or, or whatever you know? right and and that yeah. was a huge problem for me so w- when i was watching those and um i actually sort of enjoyed the first one but as um the movie became more about his character and um uh you know good guys versus the bad guys instead of this like survival 
situation. Yeah. Um, Which the survival situation is great, really interesting because once again, hard decisions. There's a moral right. universe there. Hard decisions. Who do I serve? Who do I save? Right. Who do I kill? But when when you have a bad guy who's just like, hey, I'm going to make you all kill each other for sport, and um, I'm going to do these horrible things to people for literally no reason, you know. Yeah. And I think the, I think the excuse in the movie was to like keep the people in line, but that doesn't even make sense because yeah. that's not a good tactic. You don't submit your yeah. like you don't submit submit your kingdom to horrors in order to keep them in line. Yeah, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. Right. If anything, it would provoke the exact opposite. Right, exactly. Like it, submit one person the, to horrors in front of a crowd. That makes sense, right? Because yeah. one you're using person. fear, um, but to like yeah. bomb a village. Like, yeah, or to take their children in a lottery to kill each other on TV, <laughs> right? Exactly. But like in contrast, the the ending scene of the first Hunger Games, where they have to take the, they have to kill each other, and they're just like, you know what, fuck it, we're just gonna kill ourselves. Rather, you know, once again, right? There's moral courage where they're doing something. It's pretty bad, suicide, but they're doing it for the right reasons. They're not gonna let the bad guy win. They're not going to, they're going to, this right. is a protest against this whole sick event. Right. It, to bring it about villains, one of the reasons I think Thanos in the recent Avengers movies, especially in Infinity War, mm-hmm. uh, was so embraced, was so overwhelmingly embraced, was he was a contrast to a lot of the simple, more simple moral decisions that the heroes have to make. The heroes always, it's always black and white for them. Right, right. Right? And mo- not all of them, you know, like, not all the Marvel movies, I should say. There's some really good illustrations of moral courage in other Marvel like movies. Like Winter Soldier. In that yeah. one specifically. Yeah, but like in that one specifically, the decision is obvious for the heroes. And they're not really, they're not sacrificing anything other than their own bodily harm, which you're desensitized to. Anyways. Right. And they're not doing anything bad to do something good, which is what I really mean by moral courage. It's a way of simplifying it because, you know, once again, you're, you're weighing morality here. It's very complicated. Right. But Thanos, on the other hand, has horrific decision after horrific decision to make in the name of over right in the name in of, the name <laughs> of a greater moral cause whether or not you agree with it right but you can definitely tell that he's a true believer right and this is why in many ways in a real cool twist of writing in that film he's sort of the hero of the film right well like, it follows at least structurally yeah structurally, it follows yes. traditional three act structure for him yeah right. the mythic the <laughs> mythic structure yeah yeah with the water and everything at the at the end and uh it's just crazy um but let's bring it back to the king yes yes and we'll just say a plus on the moral center of the universe uh, just great writing in that regard uh it's feels medieval it doesn't feel like it's modern characters a medieval time oh. and the decisions and what i wanted to, to say about really that hard. um about the feeling medieval is that um every character feels closer to death and i what i mean by that is that um when when you have a modern movie, we're we're so far removed from death um, mm-hmm. as a concept, and we we see it as this like end of the line, um, you know, it's it's this old age. You've retired and become, you know, feeble, and then you uh, yeah you die away, old age. right? <laughs> yeah. um, That's how we feel. That's how we view it, right? And in medieval times, this wasn't the case at all. They were every every human being on the planet was closer to death. They were um, an instant away from it every day. Right. And you can see this in how they react to everything around them. And 
I, I think this movie did a really good job at portraying that. You know, and especially in the speeches and before battles and such, where they, um, I, for, I forget the exact wording, but they even talk about how, you know, um, like yeah. I'll die to, uh, or I'll die to the, today, you'll die tomorrow, or the other way around, yeah. right? If you die today, so be it. I'll die tomorrow, right? Or I'll die today and you die tomorrow, right? It matters not. <laughs> and yeah. and and it. it it really, I listened to that scene yeah. <laughs> like fifty plus times. It really illuminates this idea that um, that the entire culture um, embraces death a lot more than modern society, and I think that's the problem with a lot of these other medieval movies is that they're even though they're in that era, they're so far yeah. removed from death like we are. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they like what you were saying is like these people. Not only are they closer to death, but you can tell they have a different view on death. Right. They definitely have because they don't. They're they're a highly religious society, and so death doesn't mean the same thing as it means to a lot of people today. Right. A lot of people today it has a sense of finality about it. To them, not so much. Right. And um, also to, to go what you were saying. Uh, more about these other medieval movies. Another thing a lot of these other medieval movies do, I think about uh, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. Mm. I think about this Outlaw King that was also a Netflix original. A good movie. I'm not trying, both of these movies are good. I'm not trying to bad mark movies, but just an issue I have with them mm. is uh, they, they try to critique uh, the power structure, the monarchy uh, from a modern point of view. And Robin Hood is like some sort of secret agent about giving rights to the people. And the Outlaw King is some sort of secret agent about giving rights to the people. And he treats, he treats people as if they're his equals, even though, uh, you know, he's their king, you know, in the Outlaw right. King. And I really like uh, how this movie did it. Whereas this movie actually did talk about the realities of politics right. uh, in this scenario. But it wasn't critiquing it from this unrealistic uh, standard of taking historical figures. <laughs> modern like, hindsight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, actually, these characters uh, in, in history uh, didn't like monarchy, and they completely questioned it, and they were, like, revolting to have a monarchy with more rights. And it's like, mm, no, actually, in this time period, most people would not question monarchy at all. Right. Like, it would be, like, an obvious truth to them. It would just be, like, as normal as democracy is to us. Right. You know? And this is another area where this film does it right, where I mean, like, it feels medieval. It's created a really good world. It's great world building. It's a great moral center to the world. Um, it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like I'm juxtapositioning characters in the past to have values that we would have in the present so that we can sort of sympathize with them. It's like, just no, just trust the audience. And uh, you can talk about power and you can critique power, but uh, don't do it in a way that sort of portrays the authenticity of the world. You know? Right. Um, so. Yeah. You know, All I actually right. want so to get I back to... Have... Sorry, go ahead. I think we have essentially one more thing to talk about. We're getting pretty late in the episode here. Okay. So did you want to talk about Robert Pattinson's character since we haven't gotten to him yet? Um, how, how far have we gotten, by the way? What, what time? Uh, we we're at? passing an hour and a half. We're passing an hour and a half? Here, why don't we talk about Robert Pattinson's character, and then I kind of want to get back into. I want to. I kind of want to end with um, what the sure, what the meaning between because we've touched on different parts of the movie, and we really have to bring all that together to be able to um, find out what the true meaning is. 
right. um, we'll make our our final attempt. So let's talk about Robert Pattinson's character. Um, yeah, he's a, a sick parody, in my opinion, of uh, Henry in, in many ways. Sure, uh, but also sort of like there's some truth to it. Uh, right. I, I by the way, I this, love that scene where he's um, coming in and he's threatening him in English, and oh, um, yeah, yeah. Falstaff yawns. <laughs> yeah, English um, is so ugly. Yeah, but the way Falstaff deals with that was just perfect to me. Where um, he sees right through what, like, like um, Henry is Once obviously again, it's eating a, it it's up. A right, thing of Falstaff hating the word games of these people and right. not participating or just cutting straight to the fucking point. You know, right? Like. Yeah, yeah, but and Henry's mad about this, right? Like he even says, "Like you don't say anything," and you know, towards the end, he, he yeah, has the oh yeah, I, I, I anyone I, I that's for, talking about that, anything um... is just trying to build their own kingdom, right? You know? Right, it's just trying to manipulate you. You know, like you should have Falstaff's mindset of like, well, what's going to happen is going to happen, and what's going to come is going to come, and we can deal with it then. But don't kid yourself that all this talking is doing anything other than, uh, you know, you know, it's. It's sort of a manipulation. It's just like it's just changing how you perceive certain people around you. Yeah, and then trying to change how you perceive what we could do in the future. Yeah, you know, I also really loved the um, juxtaposition between the the what was it the bishop, um, and the bishop's faith and Henry's faith. Yeah. Right, where like the bishop was Henry's a man of God. Yeah. Right, right, and and the bishop was. Uh, vain in his i i almost i almost want to say that vanity is a big part of this movie um not in the like fashion sense but at least in the um desiring greatness almost for, for the sake of it right for yeah um for the appearance of it which is why i want to use vanity greed greed and vanity yeah um and, yeah because you're right because he's you know it makes sense that Henry's portrayed as religious and and contrasted with the bishop because he is like this guy that's supposed to have this really strong moral center Mm -hmm. in the medieval period. And uh, the bishop, you know, it's even once again to talk about speaking when the bishop is introduced uh, when Henry's on the throne and he's going on this long tirade with his lisp Mm -hmm. uh, about like uh, uh, cobbling together some sort of historical claim he can have right. on the land because in medieval period this is what you needed to do to declare a proper war right and he's just like what the hell are you even talking about <laughs> what are you even talking about yeah um he's also he's a little bit of a uh, uh a red herring though because if you are suspecting something it's you'd from probably him. want to yeah. suspect him yeah where where his manipulation was just so obvious that you know, it was just thrown away immediately. Um, but let's get back to uh, Robert Pattinson. Right. Uh, Robert Pattinson thinks he's already a great king, mm-hmm. even though he's a prince. Right. And uh, he puts no thought or effort into his superior position on the battlefield, and he sends his men to the death as he's just watching. And I, you uh, know what I loved what is I, that he didn't e- he didn't even understand why his men lost. Until he, yeah. until he came down and put his boots on the ground, literally, right? Yeah, and he had a beautiful set of armor, especially in contrast to what Henry oh, yeah. was wearing at the time. He had this beautiful, like, black matte yeah. uh, color armor uh, 
with these great angles. And, uh, you know, he's slipping around in the mud and Henry doesn't even kill him. Henry is just like, oh shit. And he just gives this guy, his guys like the hand signal. And it's a really brutal scene where like these five peasants <laughs> just grab this guy and start shaking him and all his different joints. Yeah. It's real brutally. Well, and it's and like, oh, it's just so, you know, this man was sitting up in his chair, sending his men to his death and didn't understand what it meant to be on the ground there. And the second he tried, he lost his footing, you know, and it was pathetic. And yeah, no, it was, I I kind of almost want to say that this movie's um, about pitfalls, Um, about these traps on your way to greatness. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I was about to say something similar in the sense that he sort of uh, represents what Henry's becoming to some degree. Yeah. Um, Where this guy's already really brutal. He's killing children just to piss off Henry. Mm -hmm. And he's really callous with the lives of his men. Mm -hmm. And he's incredibly arrogant. Yeah. and I think that's about it. I mean, I just got to say Robert Patton's per- performance it was, uh, was fantastic. Oh, yeah. He's so underrated. I think people underrate him just because they don't like Twilight, you know? Right, right. But I've never seen him in a movie that I've not liked him in. Yeah. Even Twilight, actually. I thought he did well in that, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't seen that, so. Yeah. The first one's actually decent. Um, yeah. No, I definitely want to watch it. Yeah. But uh, uh, it will be... A weird day that I choose to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think uh, just to just to kind of divert really quick. I think the first one it does it does something really well. Um, it does a lot of stuff poorly, I would say, um, and I'm not sure that that's exactly the filmmaker's fault, but maybe more the uh, source material. Um, yeah. But the first one, and I, I think this magic is actually carried over from the books. And I think the reason that they were so popular is that it creates this, um, it, it all, it, cre- it almost creates the same feeling as like, uh, finding treasure because you find this magical, you know, it's a teenage girl that moves to Washington, right? Like always rains. It's like a boring suburb, right? Moves away from her friends. And it's like, and, finds this like magical being there that falls in love with her. And there's something about that, that works to some extent. Um, so anyways, um, I'm not defending twilight because it's not, it was very hard for me to get through the later movies. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, the, uh, I think, I think Robert Pattinson, even in that aspect did well. And I think, that speaks volumes to his ability as an actor to be able to work on something like that and still make it good. And then you get, yeah, he's got range. Yeah. And then, and then you get to see him in something like this, which is, you know, brilliant. And he does fucking amazing, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no. So what I wanted to get to now, um, is how, this idea of repetition, family, all that kind of fits into what we think the overall message is. Because we've talked about, you know, I think we're right on the verge of it. Um, We've talked about 
um, how the movie is talking about what it means to be, what it finally means to be great. Um, and I, I think it does have to do with this idea of rising above this um, darkness that sets in as you do things that taint you. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's there's a, there's comments on political power. There's comments on uh, your family relations and how they determine you uh, and how you can try to overcome or how you're almost fated maybe mm-hmm. to be a certain way. Uh, there's comments on a desire uh, to be great or even just to be good, to be moral. Uh, and in in relation to having power and how that could be twisted, mm. uh, it is interesting that you know right now all I'm thinking about and I don't know how this relates so much is that conversation he has with the Mad French King when he's surrendering and offering his daughter's hand in marriage, and he's essentially saying that you know for all the politics, uh, our nations are essentially determined by our our families, you know, the, our family strife or tranquility, you know, and all the issues that come along with it is what sort of determines right, how the halls of history. It was like his son and like the, the French King's son and Henry's father that all this yeah. had to do with. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not, entirely sure how it fits because like when i was when i was watching it i kind of breezed over that aspect you know but like now looking back like it's it's clearly important you know um well we don't have to have the right and and definitive i just want to address (laughs) i just want to address this to the audience um get used to us not knowing what the film's about (laughs) you know we're not always going to have the answer um especially if it's a film we like well well, and you especially know, if it's a film, a lot that's of the films we because, like, you know, yeah. a profound, a, a profound message in a movie requires a profound understanding of that message, and um, we could, well, for example, uh, we could talk about Blade Runner twenty four nine. Oh yeah, well, we did these talk are about it. Profound. These are profound movies. Yeah, but we we have been able to, and you mostly with uh, Blade Runner. Yeah, and we pretty much agree on Arrival. Um, to ascertain the insight, the message. Once again, I'll just repeat what I said earlier. There's a magical quality to art. <laughs> magical is maybe not even a great word. You know, I don't want to say I understand this masterpiece because that feels arrogant to me. Well, it, it does. Um, I, I think. But um, well, just to continue on what I was yeah, saying real fast. Uh, however, there are films that are both profound and great, or just great. That to this day, I've watched on Country for Old Men upwards of twenty times. I think maybe even thirty. And, uh, while I have a pretty fucking clear idea what that movie's about, I still don't know what that movie's about. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, well, and like, I just want to kind of bring up Blade Runner really quick, because when we finished that movie, like, nobody in our uh, group of people we talked to films about, uh, talk about films with, um, they, nobody knew what it was about, you know? <laughs> yeah. Everyone had their guesses, everyone could feel that it was about something, but at the end of the day... No one could articulate what it was about, and it took, it took um, intensive study. Yeah, it took intensive oh, study yeah. We, by, by we, you. Um, 
I talked. We talked about that movie for hours and hours and hours. Like it was, yeah, multiple times. Multiple times, and I went and talked to. I, I went and saw it with a bunch of different friends that I that are experts in varying fields and got there. I saw the film. Yeah, and then three times. You must have seen it. Like, yeah, rewatched it. Pod scenes, like <laughs> you know. Um, tr- that's what you but, have to do with great movies. Yeah, yeah, and then I dissected it so much, and like finally, 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 I was able to, with to with a modern amount of confidence explain what that movie about was about. And if we ever do make an episode on that, I will dissect all of we that. Will. But it would take forever. Um, yeah, it'll be our three-hour bonus episode, right? Um, uh, but the king. One thing I'd like to say. Oh yeah, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Okay. Um, one thing I'd like to say as well is, you know, well, me and Nick generally agree in the sense that we like films with insights, which are, as we uh, uh, talked about in the first episode, is something, you know, it's like the simple point of the movie or the argument of the movie or the message of the movie. It's a little different than what you could say, like a theme or a question of the movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie very well, even though it's great, could uh, buck our notions of that insights are superior to like... Well- uh, See, question, no, I think this one has questions. one. Um, I know, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, because of you the have to ending. keep this in mind. Yeah, and I think I you think, have to keep this in mind. Yeah, uh, and when you're when you're watching films, and just because you think a film is great doesn't mean it has to align with no, of course how not. You would do things, um, but I do think that this one has one just because of how the movie ends. You know, um, yeah. because we and we end at the be we end at the beginning of something, right? And it's it's yeah. the beginning of his. Um, his greatness as a ruler. Well, let's let's well let's do what, what the one hundred and one simple thing to do, which is the simple reason because so many fil- filmmakers use it because it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. We open on a shot of a rebellious lord who ends up trying to do something great by rectifying the kingdom morally. He's not rebellious. He just won. Yet in this scene, he just won a battle against Scotland for the king he was about to rebel against. There's He's on the right side of the frame, looking left, and there's a guy, a Scottish soldier, crawling from left to right. It's also a moment goes, of what are you? brutality. Yeah, at the very end. Uh, and he goes, well, you know, where are you going? Scotland's that way. And Scotland, therefore, is possibly represented as some sort of respite, some sort of true north for this figure. Uh, and then we juxtapose with the ending scene. Henry's on the right. Uh, we have the French bride to be on the left, and he goes to her. So, and once again, as sort of like, please be my true north. Please don't uh, lie to me ever, because she's also I can't his take enemy, it. right? She was all, well, yeah, uh, not anymore, right, but yeah, right, figuratively, right. yeah. But yeah, you're right. Um, so there's, there's, that's not necessarily a, um, an insight or a message. But that does align in the sense that I think there's a possibly more of a, uh, a similarity between the rebellious lord he kills at the beginning and himself to some degree that needs to be looked into. But as a definitive statement, I think it's more wrapped up between those ending three scenes, everything that takes place yeah, in the castle. Yeah, well, and um, I almost saw that as one big scene. You know, yeah, it's it's all yeah. I agree. I think yeah, and you could almost even say the ending starts uh, from the moment he's talking to the French king to some degree because you know, is the French king and then he's on the boat and then he's in the castle. Right. You know, it's like 
three scenes or five if you count the three in the castles, one or two or right, each right. separately. You know. So, well, I think I think what what we've gotten to is the question, right? Essentially, mm-hmm. is you know what makes um, what makes this what makes a man um, great, and I, I think we we've stumbled on a bit of an answer, which is that like that clarity and cynicism. But I almost feel like since the movie, uh, oh, clarity, cynicism, and this like ability to rise above what taints you, right? Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's almost more so the last one, the thing about being tainted, just because the rest of the movie, right? Because if, if it was just that last scene, I would say like all three equally, but literally the rest of that, the movie is about these like pitfalls of, um, of ambition or not, not ambition of, of like power and ruling and great wanting greatness and right. all these things. And, and I, I like a lot of where you're going. Right. My, my only thing is, uh, the, the thing that pops up in my mind as a way to juxtapose against what you said with the tainted is it is a tragedy. So mm-hmm. how much of that is just it being a tragedy and uh, making you feel that way at the end well, uh, versus how much of it is truly about uh, a taint? I like a lot of what you're saying there. Maybe it's not even... Well, the reason why uh, I say that is because... Like the entire movie, right? Because remember when I was saying uh, last episode how like the most simple way you can boil down how to like attain an insight is the whole movie plus the last scene equals the insight. Yeah. Like right now we're really looking at the last scene or yes. scenes, and you can kind of sum that up if you want to say everything in the castle or everything from the French king and onward. Right? Absolutely. Um, we're kind of just only looking at the last section here, right? And Yes, we have that portion, but now, like, let's say, like, let's add the rest of the movie. Like, what is what is the rest of the movie in addition to these last scenes? What does that end up equaling on the other side, right? And that's why that's why mm-hmm. I kind of want to say that it has to do with like rising above your um, what determine. It's almost like what determines a man, what determines a king. Yeah. Um, and like, that's like you said, you said, you know, here's the question. And like, that's like a refined version of what you, you suggested, which is like, what was it? It was like, uh, it was something very similar. Uh, yeah. And however, there's so many things. The thing is, it's, it's, it could be many things. It could be, you know, the message of this movie could be a paragraph or two long. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like we're so close with the uh, this idea that um, like you almost rise above what should destroy you. Because um, if it's what determines a man, well, then we have we have friends, we have family. You know, there's the interesting scene where Falstaff, where he goes and asks Falstaff to be his, you know, head general for the war mm-hmm. and be like, hey, I need my friend. You know, yeah. it's been too and long. And he says the king can't and, have And uh, he's like, <laughs> yeah, the king doesn't have friends. He has foe and follower. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I think that's an interesting thing to think about as well is like, he's now also in the same position his father was where his father didn't have friends. He didn't even have his sons. His sons were followers. Right. You know, and one of them was a foe actually, Henry, Right. (laughs) you know, and, and now, you know, he wants, he needs his friend. Right. So there's, there's an element of friendship in there too. There's a long, I wonder how important that is to the overall insight, but yeah. All right. I don't, are we, do you think we're, we're going to figure it out? I, I feel like we are, but I also feel like we'd need a lot longer to figure it out. So maybe what we should do is, um, we can have like a 10 minute intro before we do the next movie. Well, you know? well, maybe what we could do is revisit this movie in a f- later episode. But um, yeah, you know, come come or back. If we to don't it, like have a have a more in depth conversation about it because as as much as we talked about this movie today, we didn't really go into depth with it. We we skated over a lot of the generalities of each yeah. scene. We talked about what we liked, and then we had some back and forth agreements and disagreements about what it right. was. And but to, close to, to truly to understand this movie, I think we would have to know every single component of it. And we'd have to yeah. go through every single scene and look at, you know, we'd have to basically do what I did with Blade Runner. And we're yeah, we had to break at the exact down, same <laughs> spot that we were with Blade Runner after we saw that, which is like, hey, we, we know the question, right? We just don't know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and we're, we're kind of getting vague answers, like, you know, like I, I do like this idea of him rising above his failings and not letting them, yeah. not like, you know, while, while his, while his pu- purity has been tainted, <laughs> he's not letting it like destroy him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, he's heading towards true north. He's heading from right of frame to left of frame. Um, juxtaposition of the first shot. Well, and I'm just, I'm just, I feel like there's an answer here. I don't think it's an open-ended movie. Well, I'll tell, we'll end it there and we'll just address this to you, the audience. Yeah, actually. Uh, expect this. Yeah. Expect this pretty often. Uh, we're not going to have a definitive uh, statement on every film. I mean, it would be cool we if we could. Of... <laughs> yeah. We would be fucking geniuses, but unfortunately, Maybe one day. we're not there yet. <laughs> no. Maybe one day. And we're not arrogant enough as well to. Uh, just sort of fool ourselves into uh, believing. Oh, an this answer. is obviously yeah. what it is. Yeah, no, we need the real thing, and if it doesn't ring true, then it's not true. Yeah. Um. So we might very well visit this again in the future. Uh, it might be a long time before that happens. It might not happen. I would be down for a king, um, re- the king revisited episode. You know. Yeah. Maybe maybe in the future, what we do for our audience is all the films that we don't uh, have the definitive statement on. Eventually, we just have an episode where. We do like twenty minute segments on each of them, like six of them or yeah, something, we, and we go like, "Okay, this is our updated take." If we have it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So. Because I mean, you have no country for old men. I still, to this day, do not know what the the insight behind my neighbor Totoro is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, exactly. It's, you can tell it's there. It's just so frustrating. Um, yeah. Uh, but like I think, have you like scoured the web? As well, well, it's, it's the same like thing that? with Kiki's delivery service. Was where like I didn't know, I didn't understand that um, insight before because I had never gotten to the point as an artist where like I had lost the magic, right? Mm. The, where like I had felt like um, 
torn down and dejected, you know? Um, And then once I got there um, and once I started struggling through it, that's when that movie really rang true for me and like helped me through that, you know? And like, sometimes it's just one of those things where um, I can't remember. I think it was Werner Herzog that said this, but um, why you can't be a good filmmaker if you don't live life, you know, because so much of good film is about insight into life. And honestly, that's, that even might be why we don't know the answer to this movie yet is because we yeah. haven't lived enough life to understand yeah, what it's supposed to mean. Um, Absolutely. One thing we should, uh, we should also do is I don't think either of us has looked to external sources or opinions yet, which is no, a helpful yeah. thing to do, but you need to be careful. Like you can't just accept someone's right, right. Well, argument because they're, they make it so well, you know? Yeah. Actually that uh, helped me figure out, um, enemy um yeah because enemy is a puzzle of a movie it is and i finally figured that out after so much so much work i I put in a lot of work myself watching the movie and like piecing it apart but then i also put in um some research uh read some other people's opinions and reviews and honestly a lot of the critics were just so wrong like so just absolutely the completely wrong direction head buried in the sand like i felt like they didn't even watch half the movie um but it was actually a random guy's youtube comment on one of the like youtube reviews that helped me figure it out and you know (laughs) it's just uh you you gotta dig yeah you never know (laughs) right you never know where you're gonna find it um nice yeah um, I think uh, for this film as well, it might actually be helpful if we familiarized ourselves with the Shakespeare play that it's based on. Yeah, I'm definitely. Sure there's a lot of overlap um, there. And actually, one one other thing that I want to extend to the audience at this point is if um, if you watch the movie yourself and you've been listening to this and you have some insight about it that we didn't really cover, um, you know, of course, you know, let us know. <laughs> yeah. And um, sooner or later, we will have channels for you to do that. <laughs> yeah, I guess we don't yet. But, you know, um, yeah. Um, can they comment on stuff? I don't really know. I think they will be able to. I'm not sure. We'll figure it out. And yeah, if, you're, if there's uh, a place for comments, we will read them. If you're listening to this, you're an industrious person. You can figure it out. <laughs> I'm sure we have something out there right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyways, um, because I, I'm, I'm no, not above, should... like, you know, getting outside help. 